Good morning. It hardly seems right, but it's actually five years since I handed over leadership of this congregation to Christy. That is amazing. Time goes so quickly. I'd like to speak this morning on the reality that we all face, facing life's storms. The storm may come in the form of an interview with a doctor where we're given a diagnosis that is really very challenging. The storm may come when we look at our bank statement and look at the bills and we realise that we can't actually manage to pay all that we owe. The storm may come through a strained or broken relationship and we wonder how on earth we're going to heal that, this rift. The strain may come in so many different and varied ways. It may come through a sudden bereavement. We're reaching the age now where our friends are uh, going to be with the Lord. Just this last week. A close friend from Bible College, 71, has uh, ascended on high. When we face life's storms... How do we react? There are some TV evangelists who will suggest that actually if we'll only follow Jesus, we'll get, gain a wonderful Heavenly Father who will make sure that our lives are perfect. Because if he's our Heavenly Father and he's perfect, then we're going to have a great life, they suggest. Now, they're right in saying that when we become a Christian... We can talk to God as our Heavenly Father, absolutely right, but they're wrong in suggesting that our lives can be free from the storms and difficulties of life. And there's three big problems with that teaching. The first problem is that it leads some people who accept that teaching to think that God's more interested in their ease and their comfort and their pleasure than anything else. So, for example, I've sad to report that a gentleman I know decided that he wasn't very happy in his marriage. And although he was a regular attender at church, he decided that he'd be much happier if he was with someone else. So he left his wife to live with somebody else's wife and felt that God would want him to be happy. That certainly is a misunderstanding of what the Bible teaches in so many ways. Other people, when facing life's difficulties, if they accept this teaching that we should be free from these storms, begin to question, am I a Christian at all? If I'm going through this, where's God and does he care? And am I really a follower of Jesus? For I'm going through the most horrific experiences. Or maybe God's punishing me. Because these are problems from this teaching. But the greatest problem of all is that you don't find this teaching in the Bible. Jesus was very clear that if we'll follow him, we must be willing to take up our cross daily and follow him. That in this world we'll have trouble and difficulty, but be of good cheer, he's overcome the world. So I'd like to try and demonstrate this morning that facing life's storms is something that happens in the life of the most close disciples of Jesus. So we're turning to the Gospel of Matthew. And two little incidents in the life of those early disciples. First of all, in Matthew chapter 8, 
verse 23 to 27. Jesus got into a boat and his disciples followed him. Without warning, a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went to him and woke him, saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. He replied, You of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up, rebuked the winds and the waves, and there was complete calm. The men were amazed and asked, What kind of man is this that even the winds and waves obey him? Then a second incident recorded in Matthew chapter 14 and verses 22 and following. Set the context. Sadly, John the Baptist has been beheaded. Wonderfully, 5,000 people have been fed. And we pick up the story in verse 22. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side, while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up a mountainside by himself to pray. When the evening came, he was there alone, but the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it's I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then, there was, then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. So let's first of all imagine what it must have been like for those early disciples, several of them fishermen disciples, who understood the realities of wind and waves and boats and storms. But they were terrified in this account. On the first occasion, Jesus was in the boat with them, so at least they felt some security, even though he was asleep. But on this second occasion, this is the one we're going to look closely at, Jesus was nowhere to be found. And they were in the midst of it. Ever felt like that? You're in the thick of things, contrary winds, everything seems to be against you, you're facing heavy weather, and where's God? Where's My heavenly father, where's the Lord Jesus? Where's the Holy Spirit? Imagine how they felt. And they must have thought, if only he was in the boat today, we could ask him to do something about this storm. But he wasn't. He was distant. But I'd like to focus this morning not on the disciples, but on Jesus. To ask the question, what was Jesus doing when the disciples were in the midst of the storm? To answer the question, what's God doing when you and I are going through horrid times? Does he care? Is he involved? Is he concerned? 
I've actually got five points this morning, but it won't be very long, I promise. First of all, I want you to notice that it was Jesus who sent them into the storm. It was Jesus who asked them to get in the boat. Look at verse 22. Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side. Now, Jesus knew full well that Galilee was prone to storms and sudden squalls, so he put them in a position where he knew there was a risk at least that they would face storms. Is it true to say then uh, that the one that we worship and the one that we follow actually allows us to face the storms and difficulties of life and maybe even allows us to put ourselves in positions where those storms will come? I say yes. He does. Because God's more interested in our maturity than he is in our comfort. Some people seem to think that God wants to make us happy. He's much more concerned to make us holy. He's much more concerned to work on our character. And nothing works more quickly on a person's character than going through horrid times. It's in those horrid times that we discern where we really stand and what we really trust in. So it was Jesus who sent them into the storm because Jesus was concerned that in the storm they would understand so much more about their relationship with him. But secondly, that was one, secondly notice, verse 23, what he was doing while they were in the storm. After he dismissed them, he went up onto a mountainside by himself to pray. So not only did Jesus send them into the storm, he was praying for them while they were in the storm. Now that's a Christian truth that we have. That not only have we got a saviour who came to earth and died in our place, and one who was raised to life and ascended to heaven, but he ascended to heaven for a supreme purpose, to intercede for us. Old him talks about, at the blessed mercy seat pleading for me. My feeble faith looks up Jesus to thee. More contemporary song. Before the throne of God above, we have a strong, a perfect plea. A great high priest whose name is love, who ever lives and pleads for me. So when you are tempted to ask the question, where are you? What are you doing? He says, I'm at the Father's right hand. And I'm praying. Does he pray for us to be removed from the storm? Well, let's ask the question, what did he pray for Simon Peter when he told Simon Peter, before the cock crows three times, you'll deny me? Simon, Simon, Satan has demanded to have you to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith fail not. That's what he's praying for. Not praying to remove the challenge, but praying to strengthen our faith. It's the picture of Jesus on the mountainside praying and the disciples on the storm cast sea of Galilee is reminiscent of another picture of three people praying and a battle in the valley. Remember that story? The Old Testament, Moses with Aaron and her, Moses holding the rod of God's authority over the battlefields, proclaiming God's victory, 
But as he grew weak, his arms grew weak and the rod fell. And Aaron and her came alongside to support his arms. Down in the valley, Joshua was in a battle. And as the rod was held high, the victory was secured. So, he sends us into situations where storms are possible and maybe even likely. He prays for us when we're in the storm, verse 23. But notice he also came to them in the storm, verse 25. So he's, let's read from uh, verse 24. So Jesus is praying, when the evening came, he was there alone, but the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by waves because the wind was against them. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. The fourth watch of the night, between three and six o'clock in the morning. When they reached the end of their strength, when they were fearful for their lives, in that moment of desperation, they saw an apparition. At first they thought it was a ghost, but then they realized it was Jesus coming to them in the midst of the storm. For he not only sends us into storms and prays for us during storms, he's willing to come to us through the presence of the Holy Spirit and be with us to strengthen us in the midst of the storm. But notice how the disciples' first reaction was to see the occult in this apparition. How often we are ready to see the strength of Satan or the enemy in events rather than to see the hand of God behind those awesome events. Because God can and does work all things together for good to those who love him. Even bad things he works for good. If only we'll look beyond the evil and look for the good. In 40 years of ministry in the church, the network of churches is part of, I found myself on many, many occasions surrounded by difficult situations and asking myself the question, where's God in this? Because it's so easy to see where evil is or the enemy is or... Carnality, carnal human beings are messing things up. But to look beyond the human and look beyond the satanic and look for the divine. And if you look, you'll find him. You'll find he's at work, even in the most difficult situations. And you need to say, God, what do you, what do you want you to do out of this situation? You come to me in the storm, but what's your purpose? What's your plan? He comes and he says, take courage, it's I, do not fear. Maybe the storm you're facing isn't Satan having to go, or it might be Satan having to go, but God's allowed it for a better purpose. And God's saying, behind it, take courage, I'm here. I can lead you through, because I come to people in the midst of the storm another old hymn, God moves in a mysterious way, his wonders to perform, he plants his footstep in the sea and rides upon the storm, you fearful saints, fresh courage take, 
The cloud you so much dread are filled with blessing and will break, filled with mercy and will break with blessing on your head. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. There are other verses as well, but we'll leave it at that. But notice, fourthly, he who sent them into the storm, he who prayed for them during the storm, he who came to them in the storm, then taught them through the storm. And it really took a bit of courage on Peter's part for this lesson to be uh, dramatized. Peter saying, if it's you, Lord, verse 28, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, Jesus said. And Peter got down out of the boat. That took some faith. Walked on the water. That took some faith. And came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind and he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. So what was the lesson that Jesus was teaching through this storm? The importance of keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus. As long as Simon Peter had his eyes fixed on Jesus, he had courage to believe he could walk on water. But the moment he saw the winds and the waves and and saw the effect of the wind and the size of the waves, his focus shifted from Jesus. If we're going through storms, another old song, turn your eyes on Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Look to him and don't doubt. That's the other lesson. Keep your eyes on Jesus and don't doubt. Don't doubt that he who began a good work in your life will bring it to completion. Don't doubt that he's going to let you down. Don't doubt. Why did you doubt, Jesus said to Simon Peter? Well, the storm was pretty hard and I didn't think I could cope. But fix your eyes on me. Don't doubt. Simon Peter didn't lose his faith, did he? Because the moment he saw the size of the winds and the waves, he said the thing that we all need to say when we're under pressure, Lord, save me. So he taught them through the storm, taught them the importance of offering that prayer, save me, of keeping our eyes on Jesus, of not allowing doubt to fill our minds. And look at verse 32. Well, verse 31. Immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? Verse 32. And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. So having sent them into the storm and prayed for them during the storm and taught them through the storm and delivered them from the storm, and, and, yeah, taught them from the storm. He finally delivers them from the storm. I missed came to them in the storm, didn't I? Sent them to the storm, prayed for them in the storm, came to them in the storm, taught them through the storm, and finally delivered them from the storm. 
as they climb. So they're walking back through the storm, Jesus and Peter. And then the storm ceases only when they get back in the boat. We can't expect a storm-free life. In fact, we can expect rather more storms when we follow Jesus than we would face otherwise. But we have one who sends us, one who prays for us, one who comes to us, one who teaches us, and one ultimately who will deliver us. And the ultimate deliverance is when we see him face to face. As long as we're in this world... We will have storms and difficulties. That's why that teaching of the TV evangelist is so destructive and so wrong. It tends to make people think God wants to make them happy and God actually wants to make them holy. There is a promise of eternal bliss and happiness. It's not here and now. They've got it wrong, you see. They think happiness is now and holiness is in eternity. No, God wants to work on changing the character of our lives now with the promise of an eternal hope and home. I wonder this morning, as we bring this message to a close, are you facing a really tough storm physically, emotionally, relationally, financially? Are you just really under the weather? Don't forget If you're a follower of Jesus, you have one who knows you'll face storms, one who prays for you during storms, one who comes to you in the midst of storms, one who wants to teach you how to trust him in the midst of a storm, and one who ultimately has promised to deliver you from the storms of life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. It's so true and it's so reliable. We don't need to take the interpretations of uh, modern preachers who try to make it sound so much easier to follow Jesus. We know we've got a loving Heavenly Father, but a loving Heavenly Father who allowed his well-beloved son to suffer and die because he had a purpose and a plan. And we're asking the question, in our suffering, is there a purpose and a plan? Is there some redemption? Is there some way in which you could be seen in ways you couldn't otherwise be seen by us and by others? Help us to see what you're doing and walk with you through the storm. We ask in Jesus' name.